you guys, today we have um, the amazing, I want to call you student of God because I believe that you are, and I'm so stoked to get to learn a, a more about you. Mr. Anthony Trucks, you've done some incredible things so far and have a lot of really cool accomplishments under your belt. Former NFL player for the Redskins, Steelers, and Buccaneers. Fun fact, he's also an American Ninja Warrior and the first NFL pro to hit the buzzer. So yeah. cool. You are a very successful gym owner, seven-figure gym owner, best-selling author, international keynote speaker, global shift coach, and most importantly, you are a husband and a father of three. And turns out your kids like to sleep till 2 p.m. Till <laughs> 2 in the afternoon. So, you know, Anthony, every time we start an interview, it's really important for us to understand where is it that you actually came from. And, you know, from what I know about you so far, you seem to be the kind of person who I would call a master at pivoting in life and embracing change one of the hardest things to accomplish so you know since most people do resist change for the most part right um for you this is something that you had to embrace at a very young age so if you don't mind sharing with us your journey from basically the first time that you had to start embracing change back in the yeah. day when you were still a child. Yeah, yeah, I, uh, I agree. It's, it's a weird thing. Uh, a lot of people in my life, they don't understand how I'm able to navigate, like about shift, which is literally what it is in shift here. It's usually proactive or reactive. Like you choose to shift. Like I choose to want a better job or a better body or a better relationship. So I'm going that way. Right now, the world is heavily in a reactive shift. It wasn't, you know, something I chose, but I have to deal with it. Uh, but that's how I grew up is that reactive. So at three years old, uh, my real mom gave me uh, and my three siblings away to the foster care system. And that system is it's broken. It's not, it's, it sucks that there's so many kids and so much need and a lot of people who, they, we're a paycheck, which means as long as we don't die in their household, they can do whatever they want. We, we get a paycheck for us. Back then you didn't have social media, you didn't have video. You, I mean, you just had a bunch of these little kids running around. So I was, when I was in some really bad people's houses, so I was you know, starved in houses, eaten in houses, tortured, like pushing shopping carts down hills towards moving traffic. I was forced to lick the bottom of a neighbor kid like the neighbor kid's shoes one with one family is really weird stuff and so like that was all between the age of three and six like it wasn't like i was older like, this was a young age like developmental years so six years old um i'd already dealt with bouncing between houses we talked about is that shift like you seriously have no idea and all of a sudden you'd be picked up taken somewhere else and, like that's just open it's a new place that's not going to beat me and so at six years old i landed in the house which is my family now the unique thing is I'm the only black person in an all-white family, so I have like an interesting diversity situation there. Um, we were really poor growing up, like we didn't have much, so I kind of had that kind of thing going on in the background. And every day you never know, like, is this going to be a place I am tomorrow? Like, no clue, because they could seriously come pick you up, drop you off, and you're, you're somewhere else. And so I was uh, going through this family's like situations of my mom having a first husband that was drunk and uh, used to beat me and my mom. He was, she remarried a guy and life got better. I had a real mom in the background who she she got to choose what I couldn't, couldn't do, even though she wasn't living with us, right? She's called parental rights. I couldn't play sports for a lot of years. So for eight years, I dealt with this, like eight long, crazy years of life got better, but I got scared because as life got better, it could be taken away. 
I didn't like the, the positive. There's always this instability. And then a fortune I got adopted is my family. First time I knew, like, all right, this pillow I woke up on, like, I get to go to bed this pillow, which is great. Unique feeling for the first time in 14 years old. I got to do something also cool. I got to hit people and never get in trouble for it. I got cheered. I got to play football is what I call it. And it was a blast. I had to run around and have fun. And then, unfortunately, my adoptive mom got diagnosed with MS. My older brother went off to the military. I was one of six or M one of six. So uh, a lot of, like, uh, instability there, too. A lot of, again, change and shift. And so I figured out the high school years. I sucked at football at first. And we all usually suck at something at first. Then you get better over time. I did that whole thing for like years. I uh, got a college scholarship, played football at the University of Oregon on a scholarship. Uh, man, that's cool. It was awesome. Like, to get the opportunity to go from being a statistic, which isn't supposed to do well. If you guys don't know this, if you look at any prison in America, 75% of the inmates are former foster kids like me. 50% of our homeless population in America are former foster kids or have spent time in the system. And I think 1% or less of us will graduate from college. So I'm not set up to do very well. And ended up getting through college, have my, my first son at 20 years old, my high school sweetheart, meet my real dad at like 21 because it was a weird turn of events. Found out who he was. You get to see me in my very first collegiate start on national television. I got a game ball, too, and I got to meet my real dad. It was a really cool day. It's actually at my home, my office. And, uh, and yes, yeah, so like that was my, my life. And, you know, a couple years go by, I get a blessing, an opportunity to play in the NFL. And I go out, and uh, man, NFL, just so you guys know, stands for not for long. You get in, and you get out. And so in my third year, I tear my left shoulder. I end up going home, and I lose myself, like lose myself. That's where I, I say I broke my life. So I go home, and we've never been doing something for a long period of time when you lose it, like a relationship, or you lose your job, or you know, you send a kid off to, to you know, college, or you go to the military, get out of the military, or whatever it is. If you've been building into this thing and all of a sudden that thing is gone that makes you you, like you're stuck. And you, you get to this point where you don't know, like, how do I go forward? Why do I go forward? Is it worth it? So I come home, like, I'm stuck. Like, I have no more football. So I tried to recreate myself in this gym business and I broke my life. Uh, broke it. Like, so what I did is I neglected everything around me. Had a gym business. No idea what I was doing in the gym business, by the way. Don't start a business and you have no idea what you're doing. So I start this thing. Man, within like like six to nine months, um, I get to this point. Actually, awesome. So about six to nine months in, I get to this point where like my business is going downhill. I'm I'm getting served eviction notices to be you know evicted from the building. My wife I find's having an affair. My uh, my kids they have no present father because I'm gone all day long. The business is tanking. My body's out of shape because I essentially just wasn't even taking care of myself. Stress eating and just covered everything with like a hoodie. And uh, and I had that sense of like I suck without football. So I had to figure out who in the world did and I didn't do a good job, man. I, I legitimately was like, all right, if this is the best that life's going to be after the NFL, like I've peaked. All right, this is good. And, and when you get to that level, man, it was, it was sucked. And I'd say it was small, but it was a dark time for me because now I had to realize like, if this is going to be it, like, I don't want to be here. And I legitimately drove off one night. I texted my friends and family, said, please tell my kids what her father was. And, like in this kind of like fit of like weird, like passionate pain. I drove off and then thankfully I didn't, I didn't take any actions to, to hurt myself. And I kind of, I realized like, I got to figure something out. Like when you get those places, like it's literally either sink or swim. And so I was like, I got to figure something out. We got to figure something out as, as humans. And so uh, I had a buddy of mine plant this weird seed, which has led to the day. The weird seed was he said, Hey, Aunt, man, I, I, you don't realize it, but you inspire a lot of people without even doing it just by the way you've lived your life. Mm-hmm. It's never been my intention to inspire people. It is never really like, I want to go out. Like, I just want to get through the day. 
I want to have, you know, income. I want to do something that makes me feel good. But he's like, the way that you've lived your life has been helpful. Now, I was not in a place to start helping people at the time. Whenever you're going through that kind of internal, you don't need to be talking to anybody about how to better their life. You got to work on yourself first. So I did that for about three years. Uh, man, I, whenever you have like hardships, you get to a fog. So now I'm divorced. I'm living in this 500 square foot studio with my kids on an air mattress next to my twin size bed. The gym business, like it was, it was the kind of thing where I didn't love it, but it was like what I knew to do. So I'm just doing this thing and I'm building up and I'm traveling. And I get to this point where like, uh, I really have a, the, the, the switch come on. And what the switch was, was unfortunately my adoptive mom, I was in the room holding her right hand and she took her final breath and MS took her life. And it was a very interesting moment because it was like partial, like I call it happiness because she was out of pain. But then it's also like, man, I'm not living in my potential for what this woman created for me, what she allowed me to do, right? Because we all have someone in our life that's put in a lot of effort and time to see you do well. And for me, like that was my mom. I was not living in a, in a positive way. And I was like, I got to figure out how do I, and she couldn't live her full potential, but I can. Like her body took that from her, but it didn't take it from me. I'm going through the motions. What can I create? What can I do that's going to be better? And so I had this thought to do like something in this realm. Like, what if I go and start talking and making something of this craziness of my story? And so that was kind of the process. I started waking up and doing something. And, and uh, I got this good contract with uh, a power company to start kind of like building into the stage and speaking. But I still was. This was another two years before I was really ready for this work. So for two years, I did what, uh, what you do if you're single. You, uh, you are missing uh, companionship and you have some money. I ran around like the Playboy, we call it. And I didn't do anything like really bad. I just, I kind of like dabbled in that. And it took me from my faith for the first time in my life. Like I was, you know, I had a few partners and I, I just really didn't have the sense of like solidarity. I sort of filled that hole with stuff that I thought would, would be good. Like the alcohol and the women and the hanging out and like traveling. Like that's what everybody looks on the internet. looks great. Let me try that. Don't. It is not that fulfilling, man. I woke up one day, I'd taken a trip to Russia. It was January 1st, 2016, New Year's Day. And I woke up next to this woman and I'd taken a trip to Russia for a speaking engagement with a, a, a power company, not power company, with a fitness company. And I woke up next to a woman who'd come from Russia and we couldn't even talk, we couldn't have a conversation with her. And it was this really simple, like heavy moment of like, this is disgusting of you, man. Like your God is watching and this isn't what he wanted for your life. Your kids, what if they saw you, how bad would that be? Like, well, you don't even, I didn't even like me. And I knew, like, my mom, if she's looking down, like, she is not proud of this kid. And I, I literally was like, that's, that's the moment I was like, I got I to gotta do this for real. I got to figure out what's going on in my life. And so that was kind of, that's kind of what it turned into for me, a, a process for me of, of trying to figure out how do I become a better man. And so I, I, I kind of, I cut off all women. I got as celibate as possible. I, uh, I kind of sat with myself and I did this process, which is what I teach in my work now. Like I upgraded my identity. The way I explain to people is we all are like these hardware is computers and we really have to look at how the computer works. The updates come in. You got to update this right now. Snooze for 24 hours. I don't want to do it right now. I don't want to wait the time that it takes to get that fixed. And what's your, this is going slow. And this is not, I don't want to, I don't want to do it. Snooze it. And eventually the computer programs start bogging down. Your windows, you know, starts crashing. Your, 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 you know, your uh, Chrome starts messing up and going slow. And so eventually, you're like, whatever, I'll update this thing. And then you update it to download the new software, upload it to your life, and things get better. So I did that. My programs were broken. My relationships, my, my parenting, my health, my business broken. I started downloading. Anthony, why, why are they broken? Where do you suck? Because in all this stuff, you're the common denominator, dude. Like, you are the one in the background that's, that's the one piece of all this the same. And so I, uh, I started getting really honest with Ant. 
really honest of like where, like in my marriage, for example, I was a guy who I thought I was the greatest former NFL guy, but I was a very neglectful husband. And my wife made a really horrible choice in what she did. However, it took two people to get us to a place where she even felt she needed to make a choice. That was an ownership that was really hard for me to take. But I was like, all right, I don't have to be helpless in relationships and think they're always going to be like that. So I like had some control there. I was in the gym was spending more time with other people's kids, training them than my own kids. It's like, I got to do something different. Like this isn't the way that, that they should think of their dad 10 years from now. But my health, I had to get in better shape. I started doing more to take care of my body. The business, I needed to ask for help. I was always like every two weeks for six years, like, how am I going to pay payroll and rent? It was the most stressful years of like business ever. Because every two weeks, I had no idea. So I, I started figuring it out and started having conversations. I even talked to the guy my wife had an affair with, like have a conversation to get the hate out of my heart because I couldn't have it on me. <clears throat> and fast forward, that was like nine months of just grinding. Uh, I got back with my ex-wife. We're happily married. We're on a road trip together. Four years deep now back together. An incredible, joyous, man, God-centered, loving marriage. Kids of a present father. I get to take them to school in the morning. I get to take them up after school. I get to, to punish them when they do kid stuff because they're kids. Uh, I, I get to have a business that I get to coach people through this process because it's not rocket science, but it does take strategy and structure. And man, I get to do something I absolutely love that people love that I do. I'm, I'm in Jackson, Mississippi in flip-flops and a shirt that I slept in on the corner of a street with a weird big brick warming up. And this is what I call work, talking to some amazing people who all went from like London and the Bay Area. You know what I'm saying? Like this is, oh, I love this. So that that's me and all my life has been shifting and navigating and pivoting. And it's got to the point where for me, it's something that I almost like have a dear joy in because here's the thing for a lot of us, you do see all the unknown of like, how do I navigate? And I always realize that if the unknown's is dark doorway, inside the doorway is the monster. The monsters exist, let's, let's be honest. But man, there's that treasure in there too. I just like to walk in little rooms seeking the treasure, realizing that because I've overcome a lot, which you've all overcome a lot, all of you have, you, you like to downplay it, but you've overcome a lot. When you walk in that room, you, you have the, the sword to take on the monster. So go after the treasure. Like that's how I look at the world of pivoting and shifting. It's just weirdly something I do and love to do now. I love it. So, I mean, you're saying so many good things and you know, I want to start by acknowledging the fact that when you were talking about your previous experiences, you were talking in a sense as if you're almost emotionally unattached. And now I find that impressive because this is how you know that you are, you have completely shifted. You're like, I am not the same person that I was, you know, like whether it's three years ago or when I was three years old or six years old, which tells me that you have fully healed. Do you agree? Yeah. I, I definitely agree. I think one of the things that's not that I'm completely, it's interesting. I wouldn't say I'm unattached. Uh, I'm not attached to the negative aspect of those experiences. Yes. I'm attached to them to a positive. So I'm heavily attached to them. But the way I look at it, like everything from my childhood, I went through so much hardship early on to where the hardships now are easy. And the problem is a lot of us don't have the hardships. We avoid them. So when a hardship comes later in life, you have more responsibility, therefore more to lose. So like I, I, I find appreciation for the crazy. I don't like what people did to me, but I appreciate it. And then even now, like knowing what my marriage has gone through 
knowing where I'm at now in the sense of like solidarity and, and base I have, I'd go through it five times over. Probably six. I just keep going through it because I know where it ends, right? So I attach a weird joy to that. Do I, if I go back to the exact moment of when I found out and I saw her phone, like, oh, that'll crush my heart, right? But as a collective whole, like, no, like I, I find like, all right, that was the seed that planted and, and uprooted and let us water to create this amazing tree. Look at that tree. Amazing tree of a marriage we have now. So it's a connection, but it's not a negative one anymore. Absolutely. And you know what? Forgiveness is definitely something that I want to talk about later on. But something incredible that you said um, is basically having your brain treated like an operating system. So you said upload a new software into your life. And if you guys haven't, like if you're taking notes, you should definitely write this down. I'm going to repeat it again because this is really powerful, you guys. Like your brain is your operating system and you were talking about your identity. So my question for you is if there were three words that you would use to define your identity, what would it mean? Uh, mine. Here's the funny part. This is a from neuroscience for you guys. It's interesting. Whenever you think about the brain and you start like how it works, when I, I'm about to go into a point where I'm trying to describe to you my brain, the odd part is the part where our identity resides is called the DMN default mode network. And that only turns on when you're daydreaming. Like that's who you are, the thoughts you have, the way you react, the flow you go in. That's your real identity. Cause it's like, it's who you are. You you're just kind of flowing here. So here's the thing. You actually are who you are when you're not thinking about who you are. Weird, but that's the place. So I'm going to describe to you consciously my identity. Uh, my identity is joy, hard work, and embrace. So I have a lot of joy. Like I just, I, I operate in gratitude for where I could be. I got a lot, a lot of joy. I'd like to work hard. I find a weird, creepy joy in doing the things that most people don't like to do because that's where you succeed. We have all these, these people with what's called identity gap. There's a person that has all the things you want in your life. If you were this person, you already have these things. And then you're down here, and this gap is the gap between that person and, and the things that they do easily, the hard things. It's where you're like, man, I want to I wanna do what you do. Well, what do you do? I do da 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 And you go, oh, my gosh. that's a, How do you do all that? That's so overwhelming, right? For them, it's their typical Tuesday morning. So when you can understand the gap is that that hard work. So I lean into hard work that I know is going to move the needle because the more I do it, the easier it gets. So I love the hard work aspect and then embrace. I like to embrace the things like you think about embrace. It's not like I'm going to be okay with it. I like to find ways like a hug, embrace this, this craziness of what's going on in the world or the moments I'm in because every one of them is, is something to me to learn from. Like I've realized that my greatest teacher has been life. And a lot of us are in class, but we're not paying attention to the teacher. And so I love to sit back and like pay attention, like what's going on so I can embrace the moments of what's really going on and learn a lot so I can apply a lot to my life. So it's my, my three words of identity, I'd say. I love that you use the word embrace. You know, one of my mentors, you, you may have heard of him. I mean, you know, you know, our boy Ken Jocelyn. So you probably have heard of Grant Cardone, but like he <laughs> says that problems are opportunities. So like, always agree with you 100%. So now, you know, here's my question for you. I mean, look, at the age of three, you know, you went into a foster home at the age of six, you were adopted by a new family, right? And you were basically like, you said it was a family of seven, including you, and the six other kids were white, right? 
um, and you were black. So just leading up to all these adversities, like your mom getting sick. So now when all of that happens to you in your life, right? Like there is a lot of noise, right? Now I'm curious to find out what has been the experience in your life that grounded you to shut out all the noise and just focus on the future because at such a young age and just regardless for anybody, like regardless of how, how old you are, it's extremely overwhelming. So what was that experience? Well, it's so overwhelming at times. I, I have this kind of the seven second rule that I use. It's an interesting one because I think like Mel Robbins has her five second rule, get up and go. Right. Yeah. And my, my seven second rule is a little bit different. It, it, uh, it's more of the moments come at my face because life happens like that. It just happens. The moments come at me. And, and what I do is I, I realize that it's I got like seven seconds to determine how I'm going to react and move towards these things. And so essentially what I do is I give myself second seconds. And then I say, all right, how are we going to figure this out? Like I literally say it out loud. How are we going to fix it? Like it's this perspective of like, I don't want to be in the space of overwhelm too long because it compiles and I shut down and I get stuck and the emotion of it overwhelms me. So I go, all right, how are we going to solve it? And so what I tell people is I aim to find a solution before I find an excuse. Like mentally, I must find this solution because if I look for excuses, man, those, those are piling up, I promise you. But if I look to find a solution first, lo and behold, I find this thing I'm looking for. So it's always been a perspective for overwhelm. And I, I, I teach it to my clients. I'm like, all right, give yourself seven seconds and then flip that switch. Like suck for a second. Like, all right, this sucks. Ah, man. All right. Ah, please. All right, let's figure it out. Like that was about five seconds, right? You give it two more. See how that time? It felt like a long time. It's a long time to process. And I'm like, all right, seven seconds. All right, okay, let's figure it out. What am I going to do? And then that's how I can lean into doing different things. And so that's part of it. And then like growing up in that the diverse situation it is very noisy and i think the, the question asked is what anchored me right yeah i think for me i, I never like it's been my family but i've never I, I didn't have my family so at 20 years old i was a college student and uh i was sitting in a locker room getting prepared for a workout i get a call from my fiance at the time because i was 18 years old and i have a weird connection to the woman in my life uh, it, it, i think in the foster care world like that girl like i i don't have a cheating bone in me it's just not it's not how i'm built I, I know it's odd. It's an odd thing to me that people do that. I just want that, that core to be there. So like she was my rock. So I, I was high school sweethearts with her. We're in a yearbook as the cutest couple. I kid you not. It's super weird. So we're, we're like, you know, out in college. And, and so she, we did the nine months of a you know, distant thing and the, the, the distant relationship didn't work. And so I ended up having her. She came to college with me, but she went to college there. She graduated summa cum laude with her master's in like five and a half years. She's a beast. But 20 years old, I get a call from her. She's like, hey, I'm pregnant. Yeah, weird, right? Because you're probably like, oh, why, why would a 20-year-old kid who's a college student be okay with a kid? Now, we weren't trying. It was a very big accident, but it was an amazing accident. I tell my son all the time, he's 15, I was like, you were a great accident. But, but essentially what it is, is like I now got to give to a life in a way that I, was not given to me. Like it's an interesting thing. I had this, this weird like, man, like now I, I can do it right. I could do it right. Like that was a cool thing for me because I wasn't, I wasn't shown how to do it right. Nobody taught me to do it right. But like, I really had this, this pivotal thing for me. I was like, now nah, I get to be a dad, man. And it, it was interesting now with my kids. I got three kids now is I just a couple of days ago, I told my wife this, like I was playing with my daughter and wrestling around like, 
my daughter, she's kind of the one like where she'll come over and she'll poke you just feel like wrestler, you know, she wants to just have some physical contact with dad. And I'll tell my wife, I was like, I will never, ever know what it's like to be her or even feel like as, as close as I am to my kids. Like I'm so close to them. I am light years away from their experience as a child. I don't know what it's like to have that love for my father or from my mother or to have my, to live in the same house with my parents. Like, I don't, I don't know what that's like. I've almost never, I have no memories of living in the house with my biological mom. So like, it amazes me that my kids are with me in my house. Like sometimes, cause it's not, it's not the norm, but it's the norm, you know? And so those, those people ground me. They keep me super simple and sane and normal. So I, like I, I say normal. I'm a regular dude. Like I'm, a, I'm seriously a regular guy, but I have an irregular desire for what I do in this world to help people. It's just how I'm built. Like I don't, I don't, I'm, I'm in a Chevy van. We could have drove, you know, big, nice cars across the country and got a good, I'm like, bro, we don't need all that. We, we're, we're in a Motel 6. There's roaches. I think we saw last night and I don't care. Like I, I make great money, but I don't need to flaunt Like as long as the unit is here and my family is there, like that's all I need. And so that's what grounds me. You can say, it allows me to show up in a really unique way for the world. So the one thing that was basically ripped apart from you at a very young age is your anchor, which is family. Yeah, yeah, very, very much so. But I can find it. We can all find the anchor. I think we, we believe that uh, this is a, a metaphor I tell people. Uh, you guys, this is good going through the grass. I guess, you know, I have a lot of weird pictures in my head. I think in pictures, I think it might be the biblical part of me. I don't know, but pictures are a big piece. When I was a kid growing up, and when we're all growing up, we have these things that we try to accomplish. And so we have like, this fruit. This fruit is who we are, right? We are the fruit. Uh, and the fruit falls off the tree and it withers and it dies, right? And then we like feel horrible, like, man, I suck. My fruit died, right? The fruit falls apart. And then we feel bad. And then what I realized as a kid is that, that that's what happens when you have the anchor pull away. Like that thing is gone. Football was gone. My relationship was gone. And the fruit was gone. I thought, man, everything's gone. The fruit's dead. And then as I grew and I started growing as a man now, I've realized like, oh, no way. Hold on. I'm not the fruit. I'm the tree. I made the fruit. Like I created the, the career. I created the relationship. I created all these crazy things. What if I go back and just nourish the roots a little bit? What if I prune the branches? I could create more fruit that's better fruit. That whole NFL thing was a thing like pulling out the tree. I'm like, oh, look at that apple. The apple's dead. I'm like, wait, wait. Let me go back and make some more apples, right? So... That for me was what I try to tell people. It's like, you are not the fruit. You're never going to be the fruit. The fruit tastes good. And so it's beautiful. But man, that tree produces for the world. It creates shade. It creates fruit for other people to live and eat and, and enjoy your presence. So go and tend to the tree. I love it. This is amazing. You guys, we are trees. Can you guys hear this? Our, our dog is freaking out. Talk about like ha being strongly connected with your family. It's like if he doesn't see us, you'd think that somebody's killing him. So apologies about that. But, but this is such a good like shift in perspective. Like you're not the fruit, like you're the tree and it is your obligation to feed your roots you guys we can always constantly evolve and like you know anthony is like a prime example of it's like you have so much to be grateful for because we all go through some shit in life but like right now you can see it's like regardless of how much you've been through like hearing through hearing what he's been through you're like oh man right like thumbs up if you agree 
Love it. So, you know, Anthony, like in this group, like we have a bunch of women who are like totally into fitness. So like, I gotta dive into like fitness a little bit. Um, So, you know, let's talk about the symbolism of football in your life. Yeah. So what is, what does football symbolize for you? Because I mean, to make it to the NFL, I'm sure it's really hard and I want to hear more about it, but what created that desire for you at a young age? Uh, oh, this is a good one. This is good for everybody. This is, <laughs> I got a lot of pictures in my head, people. So, so fitness has been my world. My degree's in kinesiology. It's, uh, it's the way that, that it's always given me a sense of, uh, of self. So here's what took place at a young age and what I believe happens to anybody that, that invests in this area. So when I was a kid, I sucked at this thing at first. Like I said, I was very bad, like very bad. I'm not saying like I was kind of like, okay, I was le- legit the worst player on the team damn near. And so what happened is I, I tried it for one year and I sucked at it. I was like, ah, that feels bad. And when you do something that you kind of like, but then you don't do well at it, your inclination is, I don't want to do that again. <laughs> no, I'm walking away. So you make good excuses to walk away. So I tried it the very next year, first year of high school. And it was interesting in high school because it was the first time I was around my culture, people that looked like me. And it was a weird, like, I didn't, I didn't talk the same. I didn't eat the same food, have the same experience. So I didn't really fit in. I felt funny. And they made, they made sure I was called an Oreo, so I didn't fit in. Then I had, like, the white community. I didn't look the same. I'm not Asian or Mexican. So like, you, you can't have these separate, where do I fit? What culture do I fit? And the only place I could fit in high school was sports. Like, all right, I'm gonna try to find my ground there because all athletes get accepted everywhere. And so I tried again and I sucked. I was really bad again. And so I just felt completely lost. And here's this thing that I did I had this wake up moment. I was sitting in Mr. Howell's English class in the back right desk. I was checked out of school, by the way, at this point. And there was just two girls sitting next to me talking. And they gave me a really phenomenal gift at 15 years old. And here's the gift. Up to now, I've been making this excuse of like, hey, you're a foster kid, bro. Like, you're not supposed to do it. Your mom's sick. Your foster care, your world's not supposed to be great. No foster kids are successful. That's not what happens. And I don't know many that are successful. It's weird. You hear about it later, but like, they, you didn't know their entire career. The girl says, the other girl says, man, you know, the reason I'm so bad is because I'm in foster care. I was like, ooh, oh, uh. And it, what it was, was, I got to hear my excuse out loud and it sounded stupid. I was like, that's a really stupid excuse. That why I'm going to be a checked out bad dad, maybe horrible husband was because I was in foster care. I didn't choose that. That was chosen for me. I didn't, that wasn't my like decision. Like, why is that going to be the thing that runs my life forever? And it was like this, it ate at me at 15 for like the whole day. And I go home and I sat on my bed and I just, I just kind of like contemplated. And I looked up and I had this mirror in front of my, my room where I used to brush my hair. Back then I didn't have any like bald spots and I had dips and waves. You know, I was, I was a younger, a younger man back then. I got gray hairs and a beard now. My wife points them out. So back then, I'm a young man. I look in the mirror. I say, Aunt, you're going to be great. Like, you're going to be great, Aunt. Like, this is, I literally remember saying to myself, you're going to be great. Now, I didn't know what great meant. All I knew was, like, I want to be great at something. So why not try that thing I wanted, which was football? So what I did is I, I decided, like, I'm going to find out what do great athletes do. What do they, what, what did that day look like? And I started figuring out what it was. And even though I wasn't that person, I was going to do what it took to be successful before I knew I'd be successful. And I started doing it. I started catching 500 footballs a day on my back. I had to do it. I would run routes. I'd lift weights. I would do everything I could. And here's what I did. I came the next year. Oh, I was an animal. Like, I was a monster. It was a different ant. And, and it was like this. I was faster. I was stronger. I was meaner. And here's what it was. 
you couldn't take this from me. You don't get to you don't get to take the tackle from me. I'm gonna catch that ball. I'm gonna make the tackle. You're not gonna catch the ball, and you're not gonna tackle me. Like this is how it's gonna work today and every day because I did the work already. I have earned this. You don't get to take it from me. And I didn't realize then, but I realize now. But the thing is, is I now was this person who had become that guy. And here's what I did: write this down. I created it because what you create creates you. The creation process is super ugly. Like it is a long, arduous, tedious, like ups and downs. Think about doing a Sistine Chapel on your back and this whole hero, or carving the Michelangelo. It's the same thing for your body. It's an arduous creation process. Like I gotta show up every day and eat the right food, and I gotta I gotta get the the rep in, and man, it burns, and I don't want to go today, but I gotta go to. After a while, all of it, you get to the back, and you're like, ooh. In the beginning on my social media, like I just posted like dinner pictures and our, our vacations. But Susan, she's up there posting her butt cheeks and her, and her yoga pants now. You know, like it's a different feel because you created that. You earned that. That's who you are now. So in the identity work I do and where it ties into sports for me, was it's no different. I played football. Some people are playing life. They're not playing a game. They're playing their life. And I still to this day realize like who I am is tied to the work I put in, what I'm willing to go through to create. We're traveling, but still catching workouts. Like we're, we're getting it done because it's who we are. And when it's who you are, you protect it effortlessly. I literally call it effortless effort. Yeah. It's this thing where like your identity, in fact, it's, it's protected by your ego and your ego shows up in your actions. So if my identity is I'm a person who's a great dad or a great mom, no matter what's going on, my actions will show up and say in the moment without thinking. The autopilot, my identity just turns on. We'll be like, I'm going to show up and do that. I'm going to help my kids. I'm going to do this. I'm going to be gracious. I'm going to have patience. Well, it's working out. Like, I'm not going to eat that. I'm going to catch that workout. I'm not going to miss it because I don't want to go to bed tonight and not love this person as much anymore. So every, every day becomes easier and easier to close that gap we talked about. The hard work. It becomes easy because it becomes who you are. Yes. Uh, there are so many good things to that, you know, like where energy flows, attention goes. And you said something really powerful. And, you know, I want to relay this to the audience because this is something that we hear all the time. And this is exactly how we coach too. <clears throat> if it is you, who you are, you protect it effortlessly. So for you, what held you back was the stories that you kept on telling yourself. Like, yes, like there was so much noise, like you, you've overcome so much shit. But like once you heard the excuse that was holding you back, you started training your mindset to believe. And the minute you believe, it's like everything clicked and like everything followed since then. Agreed? It's, it's, a, it's, a, it's interesting. It's like a, a chicken and the egg, right? Here's the thing. I had no reason to believe that, that I was going to be successful. And, and that's a hard part is when you first start out, your mind knows, like your brain knows. You can be like, you're the greatest. Your brain's like, shut up. Man. Like, you know, we, we know. And, and so you actually have an, a, a, an incongruency inside. What I chose to do was work to earn. So I didn't even have to use the word believe. It just was. It just, it just was. Like, and so belief is what you'll call it from a stance of taking a step back and looking at it. But when I have done the work, it's just a natural, like, that's who I am now. It's like not even a question, like, because you, you've earned it. It's hard to believe without having done a, something, an action to believe. Because action is the only thing that ends the suffering. 
action literally ends suffering. If I'm in a place of suffering, I got to do something, right? And until I've done that thing, I typically will sit back and just I call it 95-5. We spend 95% of the time stewing on it. This sucks. You're horrible. You should be great. Yeah, but I'm not great. And you maybe spend 5% of the time doing an action in opposition of it. The action is usually like watching a Netflix show and eating Chunky Monkey, right? And so when you do 95-5, I flip it. I say, I'm going to spend 95% of my time taking an action when I don't feel like it. You won't feel like doing it, but that's when you do it. Maybe 5% of the time stewing on it. And lo and behold, the problem subsides. And now it's filled with the space of belief. So that's where the mindset and perspective start changing. And, it, and it's interesting is like what you call mindset, I do call identity. And I think it's because I, mindset's a weird, um, it's kind of like this, this, it can flow you into a space of thinking like everything's going to be great because my mindset's great. And I found that I know a lot of people with great mindsets who break their life. I, had, I was a former NFL linebacker. I was living in a 500 square foot studio with three kids on an air mattress. I had a great mindset, horrible life. Like this was not, it was, it's tough because a lot of people don't grasp those six core drivers of your identity. Mindset's one of them. The other one is belief. Do I believe like you just talked about? Like I could have a mindset. It's where between beliefs and thoughts where that overlaps. That's where mindset sits. If I have a big, amazing belief in what I should do and my thoughts are in line, I got a great mindset. But if I believe I'm supposed to do something and I keep questioning myself and second guessing and talking negatively, mindset's weak. I can't do anything. But I got to have good beliefs and I got to actually take control of the thoughts and run them smooth. Then I got to have big, powerful actions to one of the third ones. And this is the big actions, right? It's like, I'm taking a leap. I'm going to ask for that girl's number. I'm going to get that guy's number. I'm going to go and take this job opportunity. It's a big leap. And then between thoughts and actions are the consistent habits you have, the ones that just become you. It's the ones that most people are like, man, it's difficult. And it is at first. But after a while, you don't even think about doing it. It's your new normal. The new normal is the key place to get to. What's my new difficult normal? Because we're already ticking, but the outcome is down here. But you can feel the exact same level of effort up here with a better outcome, right? New normal. And the last one is the piece where beliefs and actions overlap. If I believe I'm supposed to do this thing and I take that big action, oh, I feel great. I get this like sense of pride, the big like mountain-sized positive chip on my shoulder like, look at me, I'm great, right? You get that. But here's the crazy part. If you don't take the action, that gets smaller. And when that gets smaller, my sense of pride and self gets smaller. And so I don't show up for myself as much. I miss the workouts and I start, you know, self, you know, beat myself up. Like I, I get to the point of where like I don't think I'm great. And, and then that starts compiling and compiling and compiling. And so to have this the sense of self of who I am now, it's a comprehensive base of all six of those core drivers, beliefs, thoughts, actions mindset habits and ego slash pride it's a venn diagram by the way you can put that you're making circles on your page circle the top is beliefs thoughts is going to be bottom right actions bottom left between beliefs and thoughts it's mindset between thoughts and actions is habit between beliefs and actions is ego slash pride epic i wrote it down and that just so you guys know in the middle of that thing in the middle is what's called your ideal identity. It's the, what's the perfect identity for you to have in place that, that's activated and running for your dreams. It's different for me than it is for you guys. Your beliefs must be different. Your thoughts are gonna be different. Your actions, your habits, it's all different. But you can architect this ideal identity. That's what we do in like, my work is all around how do I architect the ideal identity through my shift method to make that come to life. Architect and activate it. 
And it comes those six drivers. It's really what it is. It's a matter of going through a process of like, what are the beliefs I really need to have in my heart and soul to where like, I just will. I'm just that person. I will it to happen. What big actions got to be taken? What habits do I have to have? What thoughts do I got to tell myself? You know, where, where am I at in the sense of like the, the beliefs and the ego? Like, how does that come to life? You start figuring that out. And that's, in the, it changes lives. Like, it's so cool to watch the clients I have who do what they do. But it's not rocket science. It's hard, but it, it can be done by anybody. Yeah. If it was easy, everyone will do it. But, you know, something that I believe in is that, you know, if, if people are unhappy or they feel stuck, it's because they're more committed to the lies that they tell themselves, a.k.a. their limiting beliefs, rather yeah. than, you know, whatever it takes. And that's why, you know, the way that – so we coach, like, body transformations and weight loss. And, you know, what we have our clients do is we have them focus on their daily targets and actions because especially, like, for women – they're so consumed and distracted by the scale. I'm like, dude, your scale is not the fucking problem. You follow all of your targets. And Crystal, how do you define yourself? I define myself as a winning warrior. Exactly. Through an identity, right? And by focusing on your actions in order to develop habits. This is exactly what it takes. And you guys have just heard it from a master. The scale is not your problem. The scale is just a distraction because, Anthony, don't you agree that if you show up as you should every single day and you own your shit over time, you're going to get there. Look, you're talking to somebody who, who struggled like throwing a football and he made it to the NFL. I love it. It's all different. The funny thing is, like, so I owned a gym for a lot of years. I just sold it in 2018. And I was in the same boat. And the interesting part is the scale is just something that's it's one metric of so many. And here's what I didn't like about the scale. It's very, it's very fickle. If I had uh, too much water today, I weigh too much, right? If I didn't have enough water, my body fast. But it's always these crazy things. And I got to the point of like, I don't like, I personally, I do well with, with shift, but I, I don't like instability. I don't like having a feel back and forth based on something that I can't fully control every moment, every day. And I really was like, what's the end result? Why am I actually exercising? Why are we training? What's the, what's the, like, you know what? I want to be able to go outside and put on like clothes and be like, come on, sexy today. I look good, right? That's what I want. Whether or not the scale says so or not. And the only way I got there, it's like, even if somebody may look up and be like, ah, oh, you're not X, Y, and Z. Like that's their own body image. That's not mine. Like I feel good. I feel good. So I'm going to go outside. I'm going to feel damn sexy. Here's the thing. The sexy that you feel inside is exuded into the world and people look at you and be like, that person, man, right? Because here's what happens. Think about being in a room. You've walked into a room and you have, you've at some point noticed somebody and said, that person has a magnetism to them. They just have a smile the way they move. The air of confidence around them makes you like you draw into them. You want to go meet them and like see who they are. Because it's like, who is this person that walked in this room and the place got, you know, 10 notches brighter? That didn't happen because the scale happened to be one pound lighter. It happened because they just had this, oh, it just sense of self that oozed. And after a while, nobody cares. Nobody cares how much you weigh. There's no perfect body image. The world scale for that is ridiculously skewed. There's no perfect. I don't care who you are. It doesn't exist. What does exist though is this thing that's, that is stable. That when you do the work, is it's a sense of like, who are you? So when you walk out that door, you know who you are. You exude it. People see it. They're drawn to you like a magnet. And that's where life is great. 
It's the relationships. It's the people you meet. It's, it's what you can do to impact the world. But you will hide your light. Like I tell people all the time, do not rob the world of the gift of you. In a situation where you let the scale depict who you are, you're robbing the world of you. And then it sucks because you now miss out on so many great things in life. Love it. Something that we always say is, you know, weight loss is not about the number on the scale, but rather who you become in the process. And oh, I agree yeah. with you 100%. Um, and I love the fact that we're in full alignment with that because it's like, it's always cool when you hear it from another teacher as well. Um, okay, so I want to learn what are some of the lessons that you've learned from the NFL that carried over to your life? There's a lot of them. Uh, <laughs> I mean, we'll go some of the ones that are like PC because I've learned some, some good things some bad things. Don't go out with a bunch of people on New Year's Eve uh, with a bunch of cheerleaders. Just on a good look. Uh, All right, here we go. No, I didn't do anything crazy. I, I got really I got really drunk one night on New Year's. And I had a buddy of mine come from a different state over. And, and I, I'm a, I was like, I'm a very faithful man. Well, I got drunk and some girl started to drag me out of the limo. And like I was like pulling my wallet out, I was told, and like showing her my family, my, my picture of my family. Like, no, I'm drunk. Anyways. They get to the hotel and like she's gonna pull me and I grab my buddy and I give his hand to her and then they go have a fun evening apparently. Uh, so that's one that's one lesson. Here's other real lessons in life. Uh, Coach Tomlin played with the Pittsburgh Steelers. Good dude. And he said this one statement, which you've heard before, but I want to give you a different context to how I hear it. He says it takes a little more to be a champions one, but the one I liked, he says, you gotta get comfortable being uncomfortable to be successful. And everybody's heard it before. Everybody's heard it before. But I think that people don't grasp it right. So when I say uncomfortable, being uncomfortable, here's the thing. Discomfort's where your growth is. Growth happens from discomfort, right? A crab, when crabs create new shells, it's because they grow to the size of the shells too tight. They go behind a pier or a rock. They shed the shell. It recalcifies. They get bigger. Their growth takes place from discomfort, right? So you got to go Steelers, right? There you go. So it was my favorite team was the Steelers, by the way. I love playing for them. And so, like, the growth is uncomfortable, right? There's a discomfort. You got to go for that. Most people don't because they don't get comfortable. And here's what comfort is. Most people think comfort is like, be okay. Be okay with discomfort, right? That's what you hear. Like, naturally, like, get comfortable. Like, okay. When I think of comfortable, I think of, like, on my couch, sitting back. I got, like, maybe, like, a a hot chocolate or a tea. I'm watching the show. I got my, you know, my my flip-flops on or my slippers on. The fire's going, like, oh, melts into it. That's comfort, right? It's a, oh, comfort, peace within it, right? And so what I look at is when I hear comfortable being uncomfortable, I must find peace in the pressure of pain. Mm. That pressure, that, that environment of discomfort. So I actually like, when I see things that pop up, the seven second rule is my way of like, all right, let's find some peace within it. Because when I give it that connotation, that, that perspective, I find this creepy joy in like figuring out the puzzle of it. Like to this point, me and life have an interesting game we got back and forth. Life's like, I'm going to knock you off. I'm like, <laughs> you haven't done it so far. Let's keep going. And so it's a game I play and I like the game. Like I like to see what do I got? What's really in me and what can I figure out? So I'm a problem solver, if anything. I am a puzzle man. I love puzzles and, and, and weird you know, things that allow me to use my brain. It's the same way. So I, when I look at comfortable being uncomfortable, I want to see, like, if I saw someone say burpees, 
I got into these burpees and find joy within this. Like, how do I find the thing I like? And so this actually is amazing for my marriage. I don't know about you guys, but you have other partners. Sometimes uh, they like to have different uh, ideas than you, decisions, thoughts. <laughs> so I'm ridiculously adaptable. And my wife, it works for her because she, she has no stability to how she chooses things. It makes no logical sense. But because of who we are and how I operate, I can adapt to anything. She decided like, hey, when, when I we bought a house in Anna as an investment property, you want to go road trip to it? I was like, do I want to sit in a car and drive these kids around for hours? No. Uh, let's do it. Like, it was just this weird, like, all right, let's go to work. And so the thought was like, I'm going to see what joy is in it. So I get to eat snacks. I got my quarantine 15. I get to eat a, a drink, the drinks I want. I get to travel and hang. I get to see the world. We're finding joy within it. Now, I could have easily messed it up and said, no, let's pay for some flights. But I miss all of this, right? So it's always a matter of like, I want to see how can I get comfortable in that quick discomfort. And when I do that, life is, life is lived there because here's the thing I truly believe. Life has an amazing plan for each and every single one of you. Like, I'm not even kidding when I say that. Life has an amazing plan for you, but you're going to mess it up. And you mess it up by leaning into the part of you that doesn't want discomfort. Lean into the part of you that's scared of it, but will take it on because that's where life will open up the box of greatness it has for you. Amen. Oh, I love it. How can I get comfortable being uncomfortable? Yeah, get cozy with it. I love it. So, Laura, find how you're going to get comfortable being uncomfortable. For one, face the beast. And, and, maybe, and maybe do it every day. Um, okay, an, another question for you. So something that you said um, that was super powerful too is, is the power of habit. And this is literally how we coach as well. It's all about, you, you know, like your habits become your operating system, oh, right? Man. So, uh, you know, since we are on the topic of health and whatnot, I want to learn about your daily routines and your habits. Yeah. Right now, my daily routine is, uh, is get up at odd hours and drive people around in a car all day. But when I'm at home, I'm actually I'm really good at routine. I, I have a good process I roll through. So when I get up in the morning, we'll call it a non-quarantine regular world schedule with this. Uh, I get up at 5.30. I'm at the gym by 5.45. My son and I are warmed up. At 6 o'clock, we get the weights because we go together. Uh, we usually get done around 6.30, 6.35. We're back home. Uh, by like 6.45, 6.50, I'm in the shower. 7 o'clock, I get my twins up. They get up, they do their thing. They're getting ready for school. Uh, I make my, my mud water or my tea. I usually do a live stream because I just want to hop on and talk to people in the world. They're off to school. I'm back home by 8 o'clock. By 8 o'clock, I'm, I'm with my clients. Uh, on Monday, Wednesday, and Friday, on Tuesday, Thursday, they're thinking days, which allows me to get internal with Anthony. So I'll put time aside to just sit and think. I got one of those aluminum infinity cubes I fidget around with. And so those are Tuesday, Thursdays. But Monday, Wednesday, and Friday, I have clients that I work with from about eight, to, uh, depends, eight to two-ish, usually like that in that window, eight to two, eight to three. That was like my heavy coaching days. And the other days, I just, I'm at peace with Ann. Because I, I, here's the thing, if we are always consuming and operating, we never give stuff time to build. Just like when you work out, if you never give yourself rest days, you can't build a muscle that increases your resting metabolic rate that naturally burns more fat, fat in its own. So you think you're doing more to burn more calories. You're doing more to, to increase your cortisol levels and stretch yourself out and keep the fat on. So you got to take the days to turn, turn off, to rest. That's okay. If you're not working, doesn't mean you're not actually making progress. 
So for me, like I take those days and say, hey, what did I learn yesterday? What did I hear? What did I read? What did I consume? What can I take out of me from me taking all that stuff, putting it together and saying, what new thought or idea came out, right? These little pictures I've been telling you come from thinking time. He's sitting there being quiet and listening to the world. Um, I have date days with my wife in the morning on Thursdays, so at eight o'clock, uh, usually on Tuesday, Thursday, if she's not at work, if she has a couple of businesses she runs, um, we'll do date day from like, you know, eight in the morning, like 12, because uh, it's just a good chance for us to like have no kids around and actually have time for us. Uh, Tuesday at 2.30 and Wednesday at 3.30, we have dad days with the kids. So my twins, my son and I go in the mornings, but the twins and I have our like an hour together in those days. So it's solo time with the two of us. We hang out, Chuck E. Cheese. They happen to like getting ice cream a lot. I wonder what. So uh, we go and get ice cream. And then by four o'clock, I'm off. Like, I don't do anything. I turn everything off for the most part. I just, I'm dead. I hang out. We, we watch shows. The wife and I just, you know, we just, we're, we're parents. We're like regular human beings, I guess. Uh, but then when the kids go to bed around like eight or nine, usually just like nine o'clock, then like my wife will pull her laptop out, which means I pull my laptop out. Hold on. And, uh, and yeah, so like we'll, we'll take away other little things till we go to sleep, but that's it. And I have a, a really, a really res- like refined and strict way that I run my life. I have a, a planner I call the GPS planner that I created. Uh, and I, I use it just for me. But then earlier this year, I was like, I'm going to make it for everybody else. So I got it made out of China. It's a, a cool little like leather bound thing. But I have a way that I just deconstruct all the weird projects in my head. Because a lot of people got a lot of things you want to get done. And we have no idea when we're going to do them. So what happens is an overwhelming stress with, I got 10 ideas and I don't know when I'm going to do them all. But when I'm working on idea number one, I'm thinking about idea number nine for 10. And so I can't get idea number one done. And so I'm just stressed out. So I have a process where I take all that and I, I take it out of my head onto a piece of paper, I extract it and put it all the way across like sometimes a year. And then I, I make a commitment not to add things to it. And if I do, I know where it goes, but I deconstruct them to the minutes like 15 minutes, 30 minutes, 20, whatever it is. And now I infuse it over my life. So in those windows I talked about, like the eight to you know, two, some are client time, some are working on client projects. <clears throat> and so what I do is I just work it across and I start taking away. I'm like folding laundry. There's a pile here and I fold it. And after a while, there's no pile. And the only way I get to this one pile being done is because I actually folded a piece of laundry. I didn't like, like people do. They set a project to fold and they're like, oh, I got a new project. They put it back and get a new project. And they do oh, I'll get it. They put it. They never finish it and fold it and go to the next one. So the pile gets smaller. So I stay in that focused space and that's how I get my life done. That's my routines where I live. I love it. I love how you said that you restrict with the way that you carry out your routine. Um, having, oh, a routine having a routine. Ruthless with the time. Repeat that. I said I'm ruthless with my time. I dial it in. I, yeah. Absolutely. You know, your time is your most valuable resource, right? And this is what it takes to create excellence in anything because time is so limited. So I just wanted to, you know, talk about the importance of having a routine. And, you know, you guys will see is that in order to be more successful at anything means that you have to pay more attention to detail with how you manage your time. Yeah. And that's just the reality of it. And something that that's that's really good that you said that I want to re- that I want to repeat as well is because, you know, like all these women are like high achievers and also the the people who will be listening back later, but for one listen to what Anthony said. He said you he makes time for what matters to him. Something that we hear way 
too often, you know, in the weight loss industry, right? It's like, I don't have time, like bullshit, make the time. So like Anthony, like goes to the gym, to the gym at five 30 before he wakes up his kids. If there's a will, there's a way. So I just wanted to, you know, kind of like dissect how you operate and shed some light on it. And also yeah. the importance of taking time for yourself. Yeah. There's a difference. Sure. Between, yeah. There's a difference between being busy and being productive. And in order for you to be productive and get more out of life and create more efficiency, like you heard it from the man, like you take, like you have two days, what Tuesdays and Thursdays, if I, Speaking time, yeah. where, where he takes time for himself, like you need it. Right. So like, you know, take a look at your routine, you guys and see, like for one, do I, do I make time for myself? If not, you need to start doing that and don't think in big chunks, start like with small increments, like Anthony talked about, like 15 minutes. That's epic. Yeah. It's a, a, bu a book called power of habits. You said power of habits is good. Charles Duhigg, right? Yeah. And he talks about this concept of like, it, it takes time. Like he has a whole process, you know, trigger track benefit or the way he rolls through his stuff. But habits, it's, it's, we have what's called homeostasis. It's a normalcy we feel doing what we do right now. And it feels awkward to change it. Even if the change is for the better, it just feels weird. It's not my norm. And so when I look at habit, the idea is like, there's a whole bunch of stuff around habits that ingrained in them, whatever it is. I, I literally have to architect, like, what are the habits that Anthony needs to have for this, this new direction? Like, who does he need to be? A lot of people think, what do I have to do? And I think the what do I have to do becomes difficult because like this, the word of what do I have to do, it has a negative connotation mm -hmm. and that having to do makes me, I, I'm always, I'm feel like I'm battling it all the time. And so what I look at for habits is like, yes, over time, it's going to be your new normal. And what I'm trying to say is who do I got to be to where that's just who I am without me thinking about it. Because what happens is this, when you have to get up every day, we have like the decision tank in our head, the decision gas tank, it actually depletes. So the more decisions I make, the, the less decision capacity I have for later on in the day. So like the presidents, so they have one suit or like Steve Jobs wore just a turtleneck. He knows what he's wearing. He's got bigger decisions to make. He doesn't need to be spending his mornings trying to think about what matches what. Smart. So if you think about it, when you get up in the morning, like, should I get this workout today? Should I eat this food? Should I get that email out? Should I make that call? Should I you know, hang out with that person? Should I, should I, should I? you're depleting the decision tank. So by, by noon, your decision tank is empty. There's nothing else, you, you got nothing else you can do because you're trying to think and try to create and I want to have to do these things. Do I want to? I have to, right? And so what happens is for me, I get to the point of explaining to people, when you are that person, it's not a decision of whether you do it. It's who you are to do it. Like, I don't miss workout. That's just who I am. So I'm, so I'm like, I don't think, yeah, I get the workout. I eat the food. I make those calls. I, I get the client things. I get, that's what I do. Yeah, I get that done. So by 12 o'clock, when you're done, I still got six more hours in me if I need to. I got more space because I'm still rolling. So no wonder why at the end of the year, I'm two years ahead of you. Because you got maybe that first year of what we'll call it work productivity done, I got two. Because it was who I was to do those things that you were struggling with. And that's where habits got to be a thing of like, okay, yeah, what do I do? Okay, take it a step further. Who do I have to be to where that's just what I do? Because here's what I tell people all the time is they're like, man, I, got, I don't have enough time. And this is the one This may let this lay with you guys for a second. I say, all right, think about your hero. I don't know who your hero is. Who's the hero that, that you look up to that, that you're like, man, I want to live a life similar to theirs. Maybe not their life, similar, right? Think about what they got to do on a daily basis. They got a lot going on. If they were to come and follow you for a day, 
what would they say? Would they say, hey, you're getting it done. You're working hard. Great job. Would they say, um, I got that, all that stuff you did today, I got that done before 12 o'clock. So you need to do more. Would they say that? Like, that's the question. Like, that's, so that sits with me a lot. I'm like, man, I got a lot going on. I'm heavy. Okay, I'm traveling road trip. And my brain immediately goes to, man, what would Richard Branson or Elon Musk or Tony Roberts or Oprah say if they saw my schedule of me doing what I'm doing? Would they, all right, let's go to work. So I'll get my phone out. I'll start ticking away. And I start stretching my, my abilities. And I start becoming the person who does more from the road. So people are like, Dan, how are you getting all this done on the road? Like, hey, that's who I am, right? So when you start looking at that mentality and questioning if my hero was to follow me around for a day, what would they say? It'll show you where you can stretch in and it allows you to become the person who does these things. Not that you have to do these things anymore. I love it. You choose to, you don't have to. Mm -mm. I love it. Okay. Well, since you're on the topic of hero, I got to ask you this. Who's one person who inspires you? Future Anthony. This guy uh, a little bit older. Uh, it's not even a cop, but I started thinking for a long time, like, who's the person that inspires me? And the person that inspires me is the person. So I, I don't know everybody else's brain, I've realized. I don't. I mean, my, my wife, I love her to death. Her brain is a kooky, weird playhouse. And so I'm like, who will I really understand later? I'm like, oh, I'll understand me. Like, I, I'll get my brain. So I want to show up every day. So when I meet that guy later, is this, this is the quote that I have is the last person you want to meet on your deathbed is the person you could have been. It's a quote that I've, I've, I created years ago for some random reason. I was like, yeah, that drives me because I want to make sure that that guy has respect for me. So I aspire to make sure he is proud of who I am today. I love it. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to speak in past tense really quick because now we're going to talk to full potential Anthony real quick. Mm -hmm. Full potential Anthony, when you're laying on your deathbed, what have you accomplished in your life and what did it look like? Oh, it's a good one. I have, uh, I've squeezed every drippity drop drop out of it. <laughs> I don't know what the accomplishment is supposed to be because I don't, I don't, lean out of like saying like, I got to do this. Cause I've tried to do things in my life that I realized where I wasn't supposed to do. So here's what Anthony's doing. If I was to have my way, we'll call, I'm not going to, I'm not going to cop out and be like, I'm going to let the universe take over. Cause that's like not a real answer you guys want. Let's be honest. <laughs> <laughs> so I would love to be on a, on a, a platform that allows me to reach a lot of people in the world daily and meet really cool people that other people don't get a chance to meet. And, and I would call it interview, but I want to like extract their brains in some odd way that, that allows the world to see things. I want to know how people do what they do, how they tick in the way like that I talk about ticking. Uh, I do want to create amazing programs and systems for foster kids. So I don't think enough exists. I want to find a way to have less foster kids exist, period. Like how do you help everything that starts at the home, right? How do we help the home so parents are better equipped to take their kids in? Uh, that'd be cool to have that going on. And, and I would love to, in my work, I don't want to put a, a random number. I would love to be, here's a big thing. This is a weird one. I would love to have a really incredible, amazing funeral. It's a really like crazy large decadent funeral. Because I find that a funeral is a place people go when they, they want to see you off because you did something to change their life in a positive way. Not that I made you more money, whatever, like, but people are like, man, this guy really, really helped my life, right? And I find that because I came into this world with nobody really caring about me, like my mom didn't, he's fostering, nobody, nobody cared about him. He just kind of came in and was just like, all right, here's, you know, going on. Like, yeah, it sucks. I don't want to leave the world that way. I want to leave the complete opposite. 
And so I want to have this life where I've lived it, given back so much, served so much. Um, and just been, it, it also like lived my life. Like I'm not serving so much that I miss out on my family. Like I have a good balance of how I do things. And I want, I want to make sure that I give that to people so that they come see me off at the end and I'll have lived a good one and then go off to see my father and, and hang out with him for eternity. I love it. I love it. Well, I think you're on the right path. So keep doing what you're doing. Now, before we close this up, I want to talk about, you know, current affairs and what's going on nowadays. And, you know, 2020 has has shown to to be a, a year with a lot of space to redefine ourselves. However, there is a silver lining between helplessness and hopelessness. And I believe that the silver lining between feeling helpless and having hope requires two things, ownership and forgiveness, both of which you have seen to throughout your life develop and get better and better at. So, you know, moving forward into 2020, um, you know, as the elections are coming, everything that's happening with the coronavirus, like what could be your message from your own personal experience to everybody with regards to how they can handle this situation? Yeah. Um, I think it's an exercise control of what we can control. Like I, so I, I like the help with this hopelessness is true. And I, I think back to my relationship. It's the one part that I'm like, man. So whenever I got to the, the point of, uh, like the relationship was gone, right? It was falling apart, and I thought it was all her fault. All you, all you. I felt helpless. When you feel like you can do nothing to change a situation, you, you feel like, man, what? helpless. I can't, no matter what I do, it's not going to work. I can't help this. And so I have no hope. I have hopelessness. Yeah. And so when I got the realization of like, wait, wait, I did have a control within this. I could have exercised a better control of my time, my presence, my, uh, my engagement with my wife and my kids. She was a woman who had to, we had twins. I pretty much like we had twins and like I, I disappeared. Like I'm at work now. Like she had a, a four-year-old with twin babies. Like that's crazy. And so like I, I, I had a role I could have helped, which would have left her more present, right? So I didn't have a helplessness and I didn't have this hopelessness. And so what I did is I exercised the control that allowed me to say, I can control this. I don't feel helpless because I don't feel helpless. I can do something. I have hope. And so with us, I think a lot of us right now, we're in this place of like, we feel like, man, COVID shut me down and the government's not letting me out of my house and everything's going on. I'm helpless, man. And I'm, I'm across the country. I'm realizing like, it is probably validity, 100% of these things going on. But like, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to exercise the control I have. If I get sick, like, man, I, maybe I get sick, but I don't, I don't want to be helpless. But when I am, I'm hopeless. I'm not happy. I'm just stuck away in my house, doing nothing, missing out on the humanity that I love. And so it was difficult, like just that. So I think with us right now, the situation at hand, like we have a control in voting go vote like it doesn't it may not feel like a lot but damn it go vote right and there's a, a control there if it's with you and taking care of your health right now like take care of your health right now if it's your family take care of your family if it's the stuff we have like the, the societal stuff and the racial issues man like what control can you have if it's a, a bias you have inside control your bias you know control the conversation that you have in your head and you have in your home and you have in your heart like control those things because those get you to the point of realizing like i'm not helpless and when you remove the helplessness, you can input hope. So the hopelessness also disappears. So I think that's my thought of how like I'm choosing to enter this space. Like I have conversations with a lot of people in my life. One of the closest people to my life 
does not grasp my perspective, literally to the extent of it's a made, this whole thing of, of systematic racism is a made up problem. It throws me. And I'm like, all right, you can believe that. And it's totally cool. Uh, but, but it's like to know the world we live in, I'm like, it's, it's literally like, it's almost transparent. Like there's a system in place that is designed. And how is it just odd that one demographic, one ethnicity just happens to, to be the only ones that are like criminals and impoverished and there was nothing that happened? It was all of a sudden like they, his thing to me, which is amazing. He says, you know, it's just, it's a cultural thing. Their culture is just dark. And he's talking about me and my people. It's crazy. And he's like, you know, it's just it's a cultural thing. I said, how do you think a culture was created? Because you don't see this in other countries. Like, this culture exists here, and it's kind of odd that you're just telling me that genetically we're all just, all likely we're just born to be predisposed to crime and to poverty and laziness. And that's kind of what he's saying. So I'm like, realize that that's a racist ass thought, right? Like, that's just so we're, we're on the same page. Like, it just is. So, tell, so you're telling me that your culture of white, it just happens to be better. Like, do you hear what they're saying? And he's like, it's not what I mean. Like, I don't know what you mean, but like, this is what we got going on. So I have to just, you know, in these conversations, I have to exercise my control. I don't think that he's uh, overtly racist, but now I'm aware one of the best people I've grown up in my life is implicitly racist, clearly. And it's like, I, almost like, I can't feel helpless because I'm like, man, this, this, I hate this person and I don't. So I have to be like, how do I control my thoughts and emotions around this conversation? That's all I can do is control. control man, I control Anthony, which doesn't give me a hopelessness. I believe that he's just, he's also a police officer and so because of that, he, is, he has to play to the side to protect his own pride and ego. Because to admit that part of the conversation in my realm is right, he thinks has to mean that he has to admit he's less than. It's not the case. And so there, that's the only control I can have and exercise in that situation. So in 2020, I'm being exposed to things that are things that I never thought I'd be exposed to. I'm being tested with. And all I can do is exercise control of my emotions, control of my conversations, my retorts my views and, and not everybody agrees with me and I was going to be happy with me and that's cool uh, but it doesn't doesn't mean that I don't have to figure out how to, to move forwards so that's the big thing is when you feel like oh there's nothing I can do then we don't move forwards we get stagnant we get stuck and we look back and go man I don't like me and I don't like not liking me yeah I you know I think that the biggest opportunity that everybody has is we now have this gap to Focus our thoughts and actions on what it is that is within our control rather than the contrary, right? Yeah. Like, you know, with, with everything that's going on right now in the media, you know, with everything that's going on with, with the coronavirus and with everything that's going on in the riots, like we all have a choice to make every day and it's called to control our thoughts and actions. And if it's not within our control, let it go. It's not serving us. And I think it's the ones who are going to, you know, choose to think and act in a way that's within their control and are going to be aware of that are going to be the ones who are going to take 2020 to their advantage. Always. It always is. Because they're the ones that will take action. The action ends suffering. And those who don't take the action, it's going to continue to keep, it's going to be a suffrage for a long period of time. And then you'll, you'll try to blame and make excuses, but there'll be a simple reality. Good excuse or bad excuse, you are not where you want to be. Yeah. That's it. Like it's just really, I mean, I, I can't guarantee that your hard work is going to get you where you want. I can guarantee that lack thereof will never get you there, though. You've yeah. got to do something. Yeah. Yeah. 
Oh man, I love it. Okay, one more question for you. I do wanna put this on Instagram, so one second. Do it. Presence is a big thing for me, so like, no, I got it. Okay, so tell me, what are three things that you're grateful for today? Oh, today? I am grateful for my family who is happy, healthy, and traveling with me. I am grateful for this because these are the things that allow me to go out and serve in the world and talk and share. Man, I love doing it. Uh, and I am grateful for every problem I've ever had because it made me this guy that I'm standing here right now. This was so powerful. Problems are opportunities, you guys. Anthony, it's been such a pleasure to talk with you this morning. So, so many teachings. I have like two pages worth of notes. I hope that, did you guys enjoy this? I love it. Anthony, thank you so much for your time and for your teachings. And for those of you guys who've showed up, thank you for showing up for yourself. Yeah. The most 100%. important thing. That is exactly what you should, how you should start your day and what you should do every single day. I thank you all for showing up for this. This has been amazing. Anthony, thank you so much for taking your time while traveling to talk to us. Your backdrop yeah, no is amazing. Thank you, right? It's just a freeway. Yeah, I hear Jackson Miss. Yeah, yeah I hear on the, uh, in the dirty in the south, Danka. I love it. So, you know, if anybody wants to connect with you, where can they find you? Uh, you can find me uh, if you go to anthonytrucks.com. We actually, I think, today or tomorrow, we launch a brand new website, custom built from scratch. It looks pretty. It's a, it's a pretty one. So go check it out. And then if you go to Instagram, it's at Anthony Trucks. Oh, thank you. Uh, if you if you need some help or you want some more questions, just DM the word shift and then we go from there. But if you're like, man, I want more information, just go to Instagram at Anthony Trucks and say shift and then life goes on. Or just follow me and share my stuff if you like it. Love it. You're awesome, man. Thank you. And you guys are awesome. Much love to all of you. Have a happy and an amazing week. We'll stay in touch. Thank you. Bye, everybody. Bye, Anthony. Thank you so much. Welcome. Bye. Ciao.